0: Welcome to the World Soccer Talk Podcast. My name is Christopher Harris and I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnayer. Uh, this is our weekly podcast where we go deep into a whole bunch of different topics. On this week's episode, we are talking about the damned United returns, uh, UEFA Champions League final, and everything that happened uh, on the pitch and off the pitch, as well as MLS TV rights, and I'm sure much, much more, plus uh, a lot of uh, feedback from you, the listeners. So, Kartik, let's start with the UEFA Champions League final. The, the game itself, I thought was, uh, eh, it was it was it was a pragmatic performance by Real Madrid, and there was one man that was the difference. Really, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, obviously Courtois, and I, I would say obviously uh, also Vinicius Junior. Uh, Liverpool's fullbacks, Rabo and, and, and TAA, they didn't have their best matches, and I think that that was a key, uh, a key takeaway from the match. I know a lot of Liverpool fans have talked about Luis Diaz not being very, very, really on it. Jota, when he came on, uh, Jota has been kind of off the last few weeks anyway. Uh, Salah's finishing has been poor the last month, maybe, of, of, of the season. Um, all of those were factors, but I, I think Liverpool was also impacted by what was going on uh, outside uh, the ground, and I, I don't think that you can have an analysis of this match, even the game itself, because the match started a half an hour late due to that, uh, and and not factor that in.
0: Yeah, you wonder how much the Liverpool players knew about what was happening. Obviously, I'm sure they would have been given an update. But you mean, if you're a Klopp and, and the Liverpool kind of backroom staff, you mean, do you tell them what's happening, or do you just trying to say, okay, there's a delay. Let's just go through a process here. That's you mean, stay stay fresh, stay limber. Let's get ready. Let's stay focused on, on this. But um, but before we get to that though, too, I mean, I mean, the game itself, I think, in many ways, this could have ended up easily a maybe a three one victory for Liverpool. I mean, the saves that Courtois made were out of this world, I mean, world-class saves. Um, even the one towards, well, the second half that was kind of the the near post where uh, Mo Salah kind of flicked the ball. I think it would have gone in right uh, on on the inside of the post, but uh, Courtois came out and, I think, got a leg to it and was able to stop that. Uh, and then some other incredible saves. And I think in many ways that... Um, Liverpool yeah definitely in terms of the points you raised Kartik in terms of you I mean some of the players underperforming but even when uh, Luis Diaz had the ball in the first half and attacking oftentimes he was like double teamed by Real Madrid uh, defenders or I mean defensive midfielders kind of tr- stopping those runs so i thought it was really well played by Real Madrid in terms of the way that they played defensively um, but the match itself wasn't the kind of the great spectacle and that hardly is when it when when it becomes a final i mean it's just a one one one-off game but um yeah the the scenes before the match and then as we're even the kind of the delay of the game and then as the game kicks off even the first 10 or 15 minutes i was completely distracted i was even looking through social media in terms of what was happening and trying to report that to me it brought back a lot of bad memories. I mean this brought up back a lot of bad memories I mean in the back of the mind i'm thinking like you I mean whether it's uh Hillsborough disaster was the first thing I thought of but but other things too the Heisel disaster I mean all these different things that are happening uh, behind the scenes and it's incredible too so it's Monday, and at this time we've got the the French interior minister and the French uh sports minister, all of them fabricating these lies about 40,000 ticketless Liverpool supporters. This brought back so many memories, Karthik, uh, uh, of the Hillsborough disaster from 1989. This was absolutely horribly organized by UEFA, just an embarrassment.
1: Yeah, complete embarrassment, and uh, they have tried to ascribe blame on Liverpool fans, and there's a lot of tropes out there on social media, a lot of people who are quite frankly biased and bigoted, and, and honestly, you know, bigotry comes in many forms, Chris, it's not just racial bigotry, it's not just, hey, a white person saying, oh, I don't like black people, there are many forms of bigotry, and I think for many, many years, Scousers, and, and Liverpool fans in particular, but I think it applies to Everton fans also, have have faced this sort of judgment from members of the media, from uh, elites in football, elites at UEFA, uh, from other fans even in England. And it it stinks, and it stinks to high heaven. And they have repeated so many of those sorts of uh, those things when the reporting on Sky Sports, the reporting in other uh, UK press, which of course uh, the people on the continent will say is biased, okay, but whatever – showed very clearly, if anything, even at worst, there was uh, shared responsibility here. It, it probably uh, is more on UEFA and the French security. And let me remind everybody listening that France had all sorts of problems when they hosted the 2016 Euros, which was also a UEFA event. And... Uh, I get that this was a rescheduled venue, right? The, the ma- uh, match was supposed to be in St. Petersburg. Obviously, nothing is happening in Russia, uh, for obvious reasons. And, and UEFA did make the correct decision in pulling the final from, um, from, from St. Petersburg. <laughs> Very clearly, they had no choice. Public opinion would not have allowed them to keep it there. But, Chris, this is a repeat performance for France. And, again, Euro 2016 was a disaster in many ways, often forgotten. And uh, – I really am appalled by a lot of people um, I respect repeating this stuff and, and just kind of stereotyping Liverpool fans. Okay, if there was some ticketless fans and there was some responsibility on those Liverpool fans or the ticket touts that sent them, uh, uh, that that sold them. A, 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 tickets that were, that were not working, that were fake tickets. Okay, that's one p- piece of the puzzle. Let's talk about that. We can talk about that. I'm not saying you can't blame Liverpool supporters or Liverpool Football Club ever. I'm not saying that. Please understand that. But I am saying there is always, seemingly, when Liverpool's involved, a rush to judgment. And yes, like you, it brought back memories of 1989 in Hillsborough. And not just 1989 in Hillsborough, but every subsequent discussion we've had about Hillsborough or Heisel or anything involving Liverpool or ever. And supporters since the 1980s. And we're 40 years on, or you know, 35 years uh, plus on from that stuff. So, um, or 30 years on from uh, from Hillsborough, but 35 years on from Heisel. So, I, I, it was really not acceptable, the discourse for me. And I'm, I mean, if those of you who follow me on social media, see how angry I am about it. I mean, the result really is one thing, but I'm I'm very unhappy about how this is being characterised. And uh, I would urge people to, to, if you haven't sought out UK media outlets who are reporting on this a little differently than everyone else, I I would do that uh, in the entrance of ballast, balance and fairness.
0: Yeah, we, we've seen this before, though, too. This is not just Liverpool fans, but in the past... Uh, was it last season or the season before when Manchester United fans went to France and there were um, videos of French police uh, tear gassing, pepper spraying Manchester United fans? And, and, and that's the thing, though, too, is that, you mean, from the last few years, actually, last couple of years, right, uh, in Paris, almost every sing- single Saturday through the streets of Paris, there have been riots. There have been – I mean, we, we yeah. forget – I mean, it wasn't that long ago where there were riots in, in Paris like, every weekend. Yeah,
1: the Yellow Vest um, protests were – basically every weekend.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And the French police in terms of the retaliation. And and so they've gone through a lot, but this was no uh, excuse in terms of the way that they treated and, and organized this because you could tell that they were setting up a really dangerous situation Seemingly on purpose or at least by their incompetence. So, but yeah, like Kartik said, too, if you're kind of not sure on this or want to get more clarification on what really happens, the two sources I would look at would be the UK media. And they are, I would say they're, they're fair and balanced, but also social media. I mean, this really showed the power of social media. If UEFA, if social media didn't exist people would be listening to UEFA right now thinking, okay, UEFA, what they're saying uh, is correct. It was the fans' fault and blame the fans. But from videos, from pictures, from chronology, and also from a lot of famous people, Gary Lineker and many others, describing what was happening in front of their own eyes and just the disaster that that, that uh, could have happened. This could have turned really violent. This could have uh, resulted in fights, crushing who knows what. This could have gotten really out of control. Thankfully, it didn't, but um, just, yeah, the sheer in- incompetence was bewildering. <laughs> and, it, and, and and again, too, to say, the, the thing that I think that was the weakness on this part is CBS Sports... It had no idea what was going on. And they were we, we the viewers probably had a better idea of what was happening from social media than CBS did. And the same thing happened in the Euro 2020 final, too, where we criticized ESPN because they didn't have reporters on site in the streets outside reporting what was going on. We didn't know. I mean, actually, the viewers didn't know until pretty much afterwards. And we saw videos and and, and saw social media media. So that's the side of things. Not 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 to blame CBS Sports or ESPN for it, but there needs to be reporters on, on 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 their feet outside stadiums reporting what's going on, because that that's important and that's part of the the whole I mean it's not sports but it needs to be reported
1: yeah and there's an education process for American fans that I've had to go through the last 48 hours uh, since the event so first off a couple things one Real Madrid uh, supporters were also impacted by uh, by this and we've seen now reports well again social media right it's not it's not coming from UEFA or from the French police that there were Real Madrid fans who were also uh, in, in in this terrible position but on CBS Uh, specifically ESPN during the Euros, NBC's uh, shameful coverage of uh, the Manchester United protests – There is a common theme now among American networks, and uh, ESPN was brilliant during the 2016 Euros, if you remember. They covered that stuff really, really well. They used ABC News, the resources of ABC News, to cover the protests in Paris, the the, the battles between supporters that were not getting policed properly, even battles between Croatian supporters fighting one another. Uh, Remember that also. They reported extensively on that. 2020 euros, they failed with their reporting. I, I think it was partly because it was a pandemic and they didn't have as many people on the ground in, uh, in London as they normally would. Although, again, they didn't report uh, what had happened uh, with, with a lot of beha- bad behavior by England supporters, quite frankly, uh, at Wembley that uh, uh, we then found out about subsequently. Uh, CBS has failed in this and NBC failed last year. And here is a problem, Chris. I think American fans, more and more American fans I'm finding, and this is funny because I've always said, well, we're kind of more educated about the sport. The people who are supporters of, of, of clubs here tend to get deeper into the club culture because they're uh, disconnected from it in person, so they learn about the history. They learn about all of these things. Now, I think that's very true even of newer Liverpool supporters, but there are a lot of newer fans of the Premier League and of European football in uh, uh, in the U.S. who are. actually Asking me really strange questions the last 48 hours, things that are like very basic about the history of this sort of thing, and why why is there any resentment towards UEFA, and oh, uh, why are you blaming the French police? There's no history of that. All of this stuff that I think I think if you followed the sport for a certain amount of time, you know about that. Maybe it's not their fault. They have the coverage has been dumbed down by American networks since 2016. Right. I, that was the shining example. Great. At the top of the mountain. you 2016 from ESPN. Uh, but everything from CBS, NBC and ESPN and Fox right since have been just about the sport, right? They don't want to get, or the game itself, right? They don't want to get into all these extraneous things and explain it to supporters. So there's, uh, so people watching in the U.S., it's almost like they don't want to turn the audience off. They're scared of stereotypes of hooliganism, or whatever the case is, or they don't want to be political. I don't know. But the same sort of ignorant responses, I would say, borderline ignorant responses, I got from some people and you got from some people a year ago, um, was a little over a year ago now, with the Manchester United protests, same thing the last couple of days. And um, I, I think it's not their fault. I mean, I'm saying it's ignorant, but I think a lot of it has to do with the, the poor television coverage here and the fact that a lot of U.S. soccer journalists who are, who are primarily focused on major league soccer, which is a largely inauthentic and artificial product, contrived product itself in many, many ways. Um, and you can make that argument about USL and NPSL and all the leagues in the country, but they don't explain some of these aspects of football culture and football history to the american audience and as we get newer fans in the door they don't know some of the things that fans in the u.s 10 years ago or 15 years ago understood i mean at one time hillsborough i felt was better understood in the united states than it was um in the uk that wouldn't that's clearly not the case anymore
0: I think it's it. It is difficult though for the TV broadcasters when things like this happen because it's uh, unpredictable. It's spontaneous. It's uh, basically happening in the moment, and it's something that you can't really prepare for. But I think you I mean so, so. So, for example, in this in this UEFA Champions League final, some of the best reporting I saw and video um, from broadcasters affiliated with US uh broadcasters were from espn and that was mark ogden who is uh, a reporter writer for espn.com or espnfc.com and, and appears on uh on espnfc quite often even giving his thoughts mostly about manchester united but but about football in general and then usually like so euro 2020 would have been sam borden but Sam, we didn't really get much from, from that final. I think he was more in, inside the stadium than outside. However, like during the CBS broadcast, and I think it was during the that 30-minute delay, Kate Abdo, which I, I'll give a com- com- complete credit for her, was being very transparent. She said, like, hey, we don't know what's going on, and we're not allowed to kind of really roam the stadium. We have to stay within our confines of our area. Um, which kind of uh, so it, it puts us in, into a situation where it 's difficult to report what 's going on, and we don 't know what 's going on as much as you don 't which for the viewer is um, i wouldn 't say disturbing but is you I mean so so then I jumped up well, actually few before that I jumped on social media to see what what was going on and uh, and then actually cBS did uh, show some of the videos of what was happening, i think uh, in that thirty minute delay to kind of show okay there 's something going on. But I think in 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 some ways, and I'll give full, full credit to Jamie Carragher for what he said in terms of this is just ho- terrible. This is horrible about uh, you mean kind of the fans being blamed about, about this because Jamie was saying like, "Hey, I'm getting texts from my my family saying that it's out of control outside here, in long lines, there's tear gas, there's all these things." It is very difficult in the moment, live television, to be. That well equipped to basically describe the story what's happening, but I think, I think that, that's the thing that we're missing. so whether it's Euro 2020, whether it's UEFA Champions League or any other future event, in the moment in those live reporting, that's the thing that we're missing out on and it, there almost needs to be kind of a I mean the reporter that's uh, outside the stadium with, with a, one, a single cameraman filming some of this stuff as backup in case something does kick off which it did. Um, and these days, it's becoming more and more predictable that, that uh, these things are happening, right? With Especially UEFA events, the way things are going. Yeah. Um, it is difficult, but I think it is an area, a huge, a, a huge uh, room for improvement from the TV broadcasters um, in terms of the way that they cover these events. Now, Karthik, uh, speaking of something a little bit more rosier, a little bit more cheerier, I mean, un- unless you're a Real Madrid fan, is uh, the Damned United returns. So this was the, the championship final, playoff final on Sunday, and that was uh, Huddersfield Town against Nottingham Forest. Um, again, not the greatest final by any means, but uh, you could really tell what this means to Nottingham Forest, the supporters, the players, the manager, the club, um, and... They've made it. They will, uh, they've will. they been promoted to the Premier League. What's your expectations for next season?
1: Well, they've got a couple of pieces, Brennan Johnson, most significant, that they're going to need to hold on to. I, I had been saying all season long when I was on TalkSport... Uh, which I'm on to cover this specifically, the championship quite often. Uh, that Brendan Johnson would be sold this summer for for a big price, and Forrest would get. That was assuming Forrest wasn't going up. Right, they started the season at the foot of the table. If you if you don't include the points deductions for Reading and for Derby, that they started the season on. Um, but now they've got a decent core they're going to need to improve it steve cooper a manager you know well is a is a bit of a um he's he's more pragmatic than people give him credit for but there's a very clear dna type of player he wants uh, he hasn't ha- been, had the ability to do that yet with Forrest. so i think there'll be some serious turnover on, on the squad uh, an improvement of the squad and more players that can play uh his way um but as far as this match, I guess the takeaway is, um, unfortunately, again, about VAR or lack of use of VAR or improper use of VAR. I don't know how you want to view it. Uh, John Moss's final match as, a, as an official, he's one of several well-known officials retiring at the end of this season. Uh, really, unfortunately, this is the way uh, his career ends is, is with this match with calls that um, he may have missed, but I think he may not have missed uh, three, four seasons ago before VAR was in place.
0: Yeah. And, and I mentioned for listeners who are wondering, like, why is Chris going on about the Damned United? So the Damned United, for anyone who hasn't seen it or, or read the book, is the story of um, Brian Clough's, um, was it 44 days at Leeds United as a manager? 44, yes. I mean, 44. And... and I mean, his background as being, I mean, taking Derby County up to the the first division, uh, what is now the Premier League, and then also then moving to Nottingham Forest, and uh, winning two European Cups there, winning winning the title, being one of the uh, one of the all time managers of English football, Brian Clough, and, and Nottingham Forest now for the first time in twenty three years, uh, getting back into the Premier League, and the the Damned United is, I mean, if you haven't seen it or read the book, it's it's one of the best. Uh, soccer books and one of the best soccer movies of all time. And next season, <laughs> I still can't believe this, Kartik. You're going to have Leeds United against Nottingham Forest, as well as and, and any other matches that stand out for you as far as Nottingham Forest. Forest, like
1: that, that, that's that's a, that's a big, oh Darby's, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and I I know that
1: both Derby and Forest fans have become incredibly, increasingly envious of of Leicester's success. So. Uh, Leicester dropping a bit this season, finishing eighth or ninth, which is lower than they finished in a while, actually in the Premier League. Uh, a, a, but at the same time, Derby's now been relegated to League One, and, and now Forrest comes up for the first time in 23 years. So that'll be fun. I also think that Forrest has um, a, a history with Liverpool because they knocked Liverpool off of their perch in the late 70s temporarily, which is the same... Um, same argument I make about Aston Villa, right? Aston Villa got good around the same time, knocked Liverpool off. Um, in fact, a year before Forrest won the title, actually, as a Manchester City fan, I can tell you we finished a point behind Liverpool um, in 77. We never competed for a title again until 2012 when <laughs> we won it, right? So um, Forrest's ascendancy coincided with um, with City falling off. Uh, really, the best era for City from '68 to '77. Prior to uh, prior to this uh, this era, and also Clough has significance for City also in that um, uh, Derby, the title they won. Uh, Man City was seven points ahead in March. And, uh, Derby caught us and, and, and won the, the league title by one point. Uh, City, Liverpool, and Leeds were all leveled one point behind Derby. Um, Nigel Clough, by the way, uh, is now managing Mansfield, Brian Clough's son, and they were in the playoff final in League Two against Port Vale, a uh, club from Stoke, uh, Stoke on Trent on, uh, on Saturday and they lost. So it could have been really a neat story if, if Nigel Clough, who's also also played for Manchester City, by the way, in, in addition to playing for his dad at Forrest. Um, if Nigel Clough um, had, had gotten promoted the same weekend as Forrest, his dad's club and his former club that he played for got promoted. But uh, we didn't get quite that fairy tale.
0: Yeah, and, and Port Vale, one of the uh, most famous players that most Americans would know that used to play for Port Vale and, and has a lot of close ties to the, that club is Robbie Earle. Yeah. I mean, Robbie Robbie Earl is somebody who always talk about Wimbledon, etc., but uh, very, very close to Port Vale there, and, and really kind of a Port Vale hero. Um, now, Karthik, in terms of non and Forest, too, I mean, that, that's the thing... In in the way that Leeds United got promoted to to the Premier League and how excited I was because I thought okay great this is gonna we're gonna see fans at Ellen Road Leeds definitely are a, an attacking side fun fun to watch and I think Nottingham Forest fall into that same bucket too because I mean the ground City Ground where they play is a really quaint stadium right on the the River Trent uh, in Nottingham really kind of, kind of a scenic uh, area and the stadium is very it. It brings back a lot of memories, too, because there's the, the Brian Clough stand and et cetera, et cetera. But the fan base, too. I mean, Nottingham Forest, I would also relate to Leeds United. I mean, mad passionate, really intense fan base with Nottingham Forest. You can guarantee that every game will be sold out. Uh, I don't give them much hope of staying up, uh, although they will be a fun team to watch. And uh, who knows? If they sell Brendan Johnson and get the money from that, they could probably buy... Three or four players with that money, so hopefully they'll they'll hold on to him. But um, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to this. It's a
1: it's a club with. Um uh, which had has a ravaged supporter space and, and similar to Leeds uh, besides the Brian Clough parallel or not so parallel because Clough failed at Leeds but uh, really got built up by 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 fortune of getting the right manager so in Leeds case it was Don Revie completely right it was a, it was a city that was more a rugby town uh, prior to one thousand nine hundred and sixty one he had been a great player part of the reason I have fondness for Reeve is he was uh, for those of you who think by the way that the false nine was invented by Pep Guardiola or invented recently Don Revie played a false nine for manchester city in the 1956 fa cup final uh, a, a match that city won famously Burt troutman played with a with with uh, uh, an ailment in that match right a broken collarbone um there were no substitutions in those uh, days but Reeve actually was a really innovative player and then manager uh when he became a player manager and then finally manager of Leeds. and he built that club right he built that club in his image and um did a lot of things that were innovative for that era in, in English football, uh, kind of, kind of like Arsene Wenger did uh, 30 years later and then, uh, or more than 30 years later. And then Clough obviously is connected with Forrest. But the thing that's amazing to me, Chris, is these are, we think of these two clubs as classic clubs, right? Uh, neither had any real sustained success before Revie with Leeds and Clough with Nottingham Forest. Um, so there is kind of a recency bias with us, right, <laughs> because um, Huddersfield, who lost in the final, who of course, have been in the Premier League pretty recently, they were the club that you could argue changed English football with Herbert Chapman as their manager in the 1920s. Uh, but we don't talk about that because I don't think we've had the stories quite handed down uh, about that. Um, as far as competitiveness next year, this is something for Premier League fans to look forward to. Um With all due respect to Burnley, who who I like, I have a soft spot for, but they're out of the division, right? So now you replace Burnley and the other two clubs that went down, Watford and Norwich, with Forrest, who play very progressively under Steve Cooper, as we've talked about, Fulham, who played wonderful football under Marco Silva, I could argue Fulham were the, were the best team to watch in England this year that weren't Liverpool or Manchester City or Brighton, right? Those would be the top three for me. I would say they might have been fourth. Uh, they played that good under Marco Silva, uh, which... I know but might bother the ears of some Everton fans, but it's another case of a former Everton manager, Angelotti, also, obviously, this week uh, with Real Madrid, having more success. And then you've got Bournemouth, who still have a core of the Eddie Howe team on that side. Scott Parker, despite being pretty pragmatic at Fulham, allowed them to continue to play football. So what you're going to have next season, Chris, is... Arguably, and I, I think strongly, I would argue, an more, even more entertaining Premier League where you don't have any sides parking the bus. You see uh, sides that are either possession-based or based on quick movement and quick counter attacking moves, and you don't have teams that are going to be sitting eight or nine behind the ball constantly. So the league uh, potentially will be more entertaining than ever next season.
0: Yeah, which is uh, some tough competition, even more so for a lot of the leagues around the world. And and let's talk about that, too. Let's move on to TV streaming news. And um, something I reported on on Twitter this this weekend was I'm I'm hearing from one of my sources that Apple TV Plus has pulled out of bidding for MLS rights uh, for the deal there. And uh, if it's true, it's not a good sign for MLS. Um, The hope was that Apple TV Plus would create more competition for those rights and then um, thus increasing the value of those rights uh, with some competitive bidding against some others. And the situation we're in, Kartik, is that at the same time that MLS is really – floundering. I mean, this, is, this this deal has been going on for the negotiations and discussions on and off again for almost a year. Yeah. I mean, they started up with uh, Fox, Univision and ESPN, I think it was in July. I mean, we're, now we're heading into June now, almost a year of uh, conversations with a whole host, a long list of broadcasters. And just as we're saying that the Premier League is getting stronger and stronger uh, other leagues too are facing some really tough competition it's it 's one of those things it 's almost it 's almost like the the premier league is becoming the nfl of of soccer for english language viewers it is that much of a juggernaut
1: which by the way uefa ought to be aware of okay i'm just going to throw that out there this isn't just about mls maybe for some people it's just about oh putting down mls relative to the premier league uefa better be aware of that when they impugn liverpool fans and and they take shots at english supporters because uh, the reality is you now have a a, at least in the anglosphere the english speaking world which is a good chunk of the economic buying power behind this sport in the world, uh, and and countries where English is the second language, uh, where they don't speak European languages like the, in the Middle East and in China, etc. <laughs> I, I think it's a juggernaut that not just MLS has to be aware of, but UEFA needs to be very careful about when they very um, blatantly side or, or take shots because of the way opinion is and elitism is in, in, on the continent towards England and English football and the Premier League.
0: Yeah, it's also one of those things. I mean, I mean, the, the amount of money that the fans are spending on tickets to that UEFA Champions League final, which is over, what, $600, 600 uh, Probably at, the, at the low end and higher, and then you add on transportation, flights, hotels, all that thing, all those costs, and, and I mean, you're spending thousands of dollars to go watch a game that's a, a UEFA-hosted event, and then you're subjected to... All of this, even tear gas, and and just just really. Well, hostility. the VIPs
1: are, wa- and the reason it's happening also is because the VIPs are walking into the stadium. There's all these gates closed for VIPs and for uh, uh, for elites with UEFA uh, people who maybe not even be football fans, right? Um, let, let's let's be honest about this, okay? There's a lot more to this story, as you very articulately put at the beginning of the show, Chris. than people are uh, people are talking about. So I, I'm just saying, in general, the Premier League. It has the potential to obscure the rest of club football, not just MLS, and UEFA ought to be aware of it.
0: So, so going back to the MLS uh, news item, so, so that, that, that's what I'm hearing in terms of Apple TV+, Plus. but I, I know that I think Grant Wall tweeted something this, this past weekend saying that uh, now we're back to uh, Fox, ESPN, and, and Univision as kind of the three leading contenders uh, for the rights to MLS. What does that tell you, Karthik? <laughs>
1: That's, uh, I think for Univision, obviously, Leagues Cup coming online, as, as I've written about previously and we've talked about on this podcast, is, is a bonus. So that's, that's good. But uh, wow, uh, that would be – and I don't think they'll get the, the dollar amount they want out of those three. I mean I, I'd be very surprised if Fox paid uh, the sort of um, price MLS wants, maybe slightly higher than last time for Fox. But I don't think they're in a position or in a, in a position of need to go much higher. Right, they they're locking down international tournaments. They've got the Euros. We're going to talk about uh, Nations League in a minute, but they've got the Euros. They've got uh, presumably they can have Copa America again if they want it. They've got the World Cup. They've got the Gold Cup. So uh, they've got Nations League, UEFA Nations League. So I'm not sure they have any real need. And in terms of ESPN, I, I don't I don't think that. And we talked about this over and over again, Chris. Disney shareholders are, partic- are, are happy with the return they've gotten from MLS. And before MLS fans write us and get angry and say that we're being biased towards, uh, against MLS, again, we, you and I and World Soccer Talk, we've held MLS to the standard they established. We are t- holding them to what they told broadcasters they'd be getting in terms of numbers by 2022 when this deal ended. And they're not there. That's the bottom line. And a lot of the promises that they've made to broadcasters have not been fulfilled. So with Disney in particular, I don't know about Fox is thinking I'm speculating on Fox. What I just said about Fox is a lot of speculation. What I do know about Disney from my own reporting and conversations is there are a lot of Disney shareholders who are like, hey, you, you promised all this when we renegotiated in 2015. You haven't delivered.
0: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring.
1: you have an Airbnb your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com
0: slash host
1: uh, now MLS fans like to blame ESPN for not promoting MLS whatever okay maybe there's some of that, but the bottom line is they haven 't met that the threshold wanted. And Disney is a publicly traded company. It's a very transparent company. Um, As I think everybody knows who's followed the news the last couple months. I do not think, Chris, that uh, they're in a position with their own shareholders and their own board to pay the sort of money MLS is looking for. So if Grant Wall's tweet is correct, and I have no reason to believe it's not correct, Uh, That's a very, very uh, bad position for M.O.S. to be in. Where's Turner? Uh, Where's CBS? Uh, Apple TV, your reporting has pulled out. Where's Amazon? All the other media rights holders or potential bidders that we thought could drive this price up and maybe give the coverage a different angle that would allow M.O.S. to compete better with the Premier League. Um, They seem to be uh, falling by the wayside, which isn't good.
0: So what's your sense on uh actually let, let me let me backtrack here for a second. When I uh was on a call, uh an MLS media call back in I think January, or maybe it was early February, but but with Don Garber, I asked Don Garber, I said uh in terms of what, what's your what's your uh thoughts about uh the split with uh US soccer and soccer united marketing, uh, no longer having the rights to both the US soccer and MLS. Um What's your take on this? And, and the way he positioned it was that it was MLS's decision to go ahead and pull the plug from U.S. soccer and to go on its own. What's your understanding, Karthik, in terms of the way it really happened?
1: Um, my understanding is that there were a lot of external pressures because of lawsuits and uh, a lawsuit against U S soccer and MLS by NASL. That's currently uh, ongoing as well as some other external pressures. Uh, the women's national team saying, Hey, we're not getting our fair share of money from TV revenue. It wasn't just the equal pay issue. The equal pay issue is one issue and it's been settled now. Congratulations to U S soccer for that. Uh, that's happened since our last podcast, but um I, I there's a lot more to this uh, uh, to this in terms of e- equality that that the women were seeking, and one of it was uh, TV money, right? They felt like uh, the sum deal was taking money from the women's national team and putting it in Major League Soccer. Uh, so there were a number of external pressures, and the fact that U.S. Soccer internally felt like they could get a better deal where they were promoted. Uh, more aggressively and more exclusively, rather than uh, being coupled with MLS, they've gone out and gotten that deal uh, with uh, uh, with Univision and with with Turner. I mean, Univision might be there, might be uh, they might be an MLS rights holder too, but it would be uh, a different package. Same
0: thing with Turner. And right. that, but yeah, but Kartik also, also internal pressures too, because Carlos Codero was. Yes, um,
1: correct. I was, yeah, I was about to get to that, but yeah, you're okay, right. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so also internally, there was uh, some real, uh, there was a real indication carlos cordero who had run for president and who had been viewed on the outside as an establishment candidate but had some serious skepticism about soccer united marketing that he had articulated uh, uh, for people who wanted to 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 to, to report on that a lot of it wasn't reported on Uh, and internally uh, going into the AGM in 2020 which was uh, right before COVID and then his resignation over the equal pay thing uh, he had made it very clear to people at U.S. Soccer per my reporting for people I've spoken to that you know what Um, we're going to see out this deal we'll let you know we're not going to break the deal now but in 2022 we're going to negotiate our own deal we're going to break with some and uh, the question was when Kathy Carter and Will Wilson came in and Dan Flynn and uh, – uh, and by the way, Dan Flynn, for all the criticism we give him, I don't think he was ever really a fan of the sum deal. Um, there was other pressure like from Sunil Gulati and others uh, and Garber's own influence within U.S. soccer to to keep that deal going. Uh, but uh, Wilson and Cohn come in, Cindy Parlo Cohn, and they break the deal, which surprised me because I thought once Cordero was out uh, – that okay now they're going to just get back into bed together so the bottom line is this chris i've been told by people who are concerned that mls is now uh into quarter two and there's no deal, that um, this has had more of an effect on their marketability than they had thought. So even if Don Garber was being partially honest in how he answered your question back in January, the net result has been U.S. soccer has gone out and gotten their own deal and MLS has looked less attractive without the U.S. soccer piece.
0: Yeah, and, and if we are back to ESPN, Fox, and Univision, we're back to where we started, which was from last summer, those three showing... I mean, Univision is probably the one exception, where Univision would be interested for sure because of League's Cup. But uh, Fox and ESPN last summer showing relatively little interest. And now we're back to where we started, which in terms of the leverage... You mean, Fox and ESPN have leverage now. They can say like, hey, yeah, I guess we're interested, but we're not willing to pay as much. And pretty much everyone else has, has, has turned uh, MLS down or walked away. So, yeah, w- we're, we're in it to win it, but we're not willing to pay uh, anywhere near what you're asking. And it puts MLS in a really difficult position. And And where they go from here... I don't know because they they need the money that's, that's the side of it I mean yes the money's coming in from all of the um the different uh, deals exp- expansion uh the expansion cities and these uh investors paying you I mean hundreds of millions of dollars to get into the league but the tv revenue is what makes the Premier League, the Bundesliga, Serie A, you go down the list, all the major leagues in the world, Liga of Mekis, all the major leagues in the world, that's where you get the most bang for the buck, and that's where you get the ability to go ahead and sign the major players in their prime, and, and that's where you differentiate from from the rest of the pack. And if MLS doesn't get the, the $300 million a year that they're uh, trying to get, then... They're going to have to figure out what to do. I mean, do they scale back? Do they, you mean, uh, not get as aggressive in terms of buying players? Do they get more uh, buying players again from South America and using MLS as kind of a stepping stone? You mean before they move on to onto Europe and, and then taking more of the transfer fees there? But lots of questions and lots of concerns right now. Um, we'll see where it goes. In Cardiff, looking ahead now. Uh, on a different topic in terms of matches to watch we're we're at the end of this european season the european season's over ended with a bang with the uefa champions league final and uh, the championship playoff final and we're now going into a new phase so coming up um this actually starting june 1st on wednesday uh for the first two weeks of june there are more than 100 uefa nations league games Now, in the past, those games would have been on ESPN+, Plus mostly, uh, ESPN3 for some of them, and then ESPN2 for for a small number. Well, uh, the new rights holder is Fox Sports, and Fox Sports, as part of this deal, has acquired the UEFA Nations League uh, moving forward, and also Euro 2024 and Euro 2028, as well as other European competitions, uh, not including the Champions League. Now, part of the struggle with this is that fox doesn't have a lot of bandwidth. So you have FS1, you have FS2, you have Fox Soccer Plus and then you've got uh, Fox the Fox Network. Uh and with 100 games and Fox not having a streaming uh platform other than Tubi, which is really more of a ad supported um kind of movies and, and shows kind of like all shows and old movies. It's it's not really a, it's not it's not a sports streaming platform. So, Fubo has partnered with uh, Fox Sports. Fox Sports has sublicensed uh, some of these games, actually, a lot of these games, to Fubo TV. So, for a lot of these games, it's um, exclusively on Fubo TV. But then uh, Fox has cherry picked roughly about one game a day, uh, sometimes uh, for FS1, uh, and then roughly a game a day for FS2, and then a, a few games here and there for Fox Soccer Plus. I know some of the listeners are probably thinking Fox Soccer Plus. I didn't even know that it was still in existence, but yes, it is. So under this new plan, which we have all the details on, on the uh, the homepage of worldsoccertalk.com that goes into finite detail as well as listing all of the schedules, kickoff times, uh, and all of that, go, go there for more information. But... Some of the games to look forward to, and, and not all of these are UEFA Nations League games. The first one, Kartik, that's the one I'm looking forward to this week, is Scotland against Ukraine on Wednesday. Um, this one is going to be on... Um, actually, it's ESPN2, so it's not a UEFA Nations League game. It's a World Cup qualifier, a World Cup uh, playoff game, uh, 2.45 uh, Eastern time on Wednesday. The winner of this game will then play Wales on Sunday. And then the winner of that game then qualifies for the World Cup in in Qatar in November. Uh, Karthik, uh any games you're looking forward to this week? Or is it the Scotland-Ukraine one that you're the most interested in?
1: Um, yeah, it would be Scotland-Ukraine. And then obviously uh, Wales versus the winner of Scotland-Ukraine.
0: Okay. And then some of the other games uh, I'm looking forward to is uh, this week just this week alone usa against morocco on wednesday uh, friendly there spain against portugal and this starts up the uefa nations league um i think this one's on thursday i believe france against denmark italy against germany usa against uh, uruguay i think that one's on sunday uh the Wales we mentioned uh, Wales against scotland or ukraine and then germany against england uh, i believe that one is uh later this week or next week but th- there's so many games to look forward to um it'll be interesting like, what's your take on this gartick in terms of i mean the uefa nations league does have meaning um but i mean th- this comes at the very very end of the season H- how do the international managers play this one out
1: yeah, I think there's a lot of experimenting going on. I mean, for uh, nations that made the World Cup, you almost use it as a, as a lead-in, as as friendlies or high-level high, high level friendlies. Uh, they're not friendlies, obviously, but high-level competitive matches to get you ready for the World Cup, help you trim your squad, help you make squad selections. Look at some guys that maybe, you know, for England, Tomore is a guy that... Um, I know Gareth Southgate wants to get a look, good look at. Uh, he's got um, in his mind a view of the center backs already with England, a press conference last week. Tyrone Miggs hasn't been picked. He had a pretty poor year with, with Villa, but said, hey, Tyrone always plays well for us when he comes in, so we know what he can do. Now let's look at tomorrow. So it's an opportunity for that for some managers. We see Hansi Flick's uh, selections for germany have been i think pretty interesting uh really kind of deepening the pool in a way that i would say jergi uh, wasn't doing the last few season, few years he was in charge of germany so that's interesting to me um so I think that's, that's it. And then you get some of these grudge matches, Spain, Portugal, Italy, Germany, Germany, England. These are all, uh, sort of matches, uh, you get excited about France and Denmark. We see play all the time in, in every major tournament, it feels like, so, um, that's not as much, but that's, it's still a great match, right? It's uh, still two top teams.
0: Yeah. And those are just this week. And then it's, uh, another whole week of UEFA Nations League after that, um, It shall be interesting, that's for sure. Uh, Moving on to listener mailbag, uh, first up regarding the Champions League final is Raquel. Raquel says, currently watching the Champions League final, and I have to say, the way that UEFA and those in charge of the Stade de France uh, security logistics should be embarrassed. I worked event security for three years at a major NFL stadium that also hosts other major events. So far, from what I've heard and seen on social media, today was a failure on every level. Uh, too long of a story to, to talk about all of the areas where security failed here, but I feel for the stewards who I don't think get paid, or, or um, um, I, th- I think don't get paid, or, or get paid a low wage to deal with this mess. And especially for Liverpool supporters and other fans who had to deal with the long queues, tear gassing, and frustration. Jamie Carragher was right to confront uh, UEFA on air. Regarding blaming fans for the delayed kickoff time, as he mentioned, a lot of the fans paid a great deal of money for tickets, a great deal of money on travel and came to the game hours early. They do not deserve to get blamed for UEFA screw up here. Uh, Kate, Thierry, uh, Micah Richards and Jamie did as good of a job as they could to keep the broadcast moving along. Uh, Bruce Miles says, uh, "World Soccer Talk has been gleefully critical of NBC Sports's uh, soccer coverage. Would love to hear their take on uh, CBS Sports's uh, decision not to use the A team of Peter Drury and Jim Beglin on commentary and on reporting of stadium issues today." So. Uh, so honestly, I, I didn't watch a lot of CBS's coverage. So um, I was so focused on what was happening uh, outside the stadium that um, the part that I probably did watch more of was those the 30 minutes of uh, the game being delayed. Um, and even still, I had that kind of in the background and I was more focused on trying to find out exactly what was happening outside the stadium. So I don't have as much um, analysis on on their actually um, coverage of of the Champions League final um, from this past weekend. But the the A-team is not Peter Drury and Jim Beglin. I mean, so, like, listeners, like, and Bruce, uh, Bruce, I would say that Peter Drury and Jim Beglin is my A-team of of, uh, commentaries. But for the Champions League... um, mostly and this hasn't I don't, I don't think this is official but cbs sports uh a team is really clive Tilsley and rob, and rob green and throughout the uefa champions league um coverage from cbs sports clive Tilsley and rob green have gotten most of the bigger matches and then peter drury and jim banglin have worked on on the, on the other on the other big matches too um and I rate all of them highly. I mean, so I think Jim Beglin actually was at the stadium. Yeah, yeah, though, he, so
1: yes, he was. He, he was some, some important tweets for those of you who follow Jim Beglin. If you want to know uh, some of the things that may not have been reported uh, widely, uh, check out his Twitter feed. He's, he's got some insight, obviously.
0: Yeah. So I'm not sure if he was there as a fan or if he was, he was part of the working media for that. But um, so, so, Bruce, I, I would say that, yeah, the, the A-team was there, and it was Clive Tillisley and Rob Green. Uh, Peter Drury and Jim Balin really is, is the A-team of, of the Premier League uh, in terms of uh, the world feed, and uh, oftentimes we don't get to hear them as much, uh, unfortunately, because usually it's the big games that they do, and oftentimes we get Arlo White and like Graham Lusso or, or Lee Dixon for those games. Uh, Karthik, anything else to add in terms of uh, Bruce's questions about getting... Yeah,
1: yeah. I think we we might be confused because they are the A-team for Premier League Productions doing the big matches Saturday and Sunday. Monday night is still Martin Tyler's night. Um, But um, actually, Martin Tyler does the Sky Games, actually. So, yeah, maybe Premier League Productions is still them on Monday night. But, yeah, I think that's where there's confusion. For CBS, they've been... There are sometimes they've been rotated in for the bigger match, but generally it's been Clive Tilsley and Rob Green now for three seasons or two and a half seasons that CBS has had the rights.
0: So speaking of the Premier League, uh, next up is Ra. Ra says, The promotion relegation was the most interesting battle on match day 38. To me, the scene of the season is not Manchester City, but the Everton and Leeds final relegation matches. It was really special to see the Everton and Leeds celebrations, especially Rafinha uh, knee-crawling the the full length of the pitch after full-time in front of the Brentford supporters. And, and, yeah, we didn't really get a chance to talk about um, the the final day of the Premier League because we did podcasts, uh, I think, before, and this is the first one since. But um, I still can't believe that Leeds United stayed up. but I'm really, really uh, pleased about that.
1: Yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, the, the two uh, the two criticisms I would have of, uh, or the two comments I have about the final day of the, the Premier League and Serie A season is, one, I think CBS did an uh, excellent job with the Golasso show. Uh, which I'll admit I was less focused on during the title race deciders uh, with Milan and Inter playing uh, than I was later in the day uh, because the Premier League was going on simultaneously. And secondly... I wasn't thrilled with Goal Rush, which Peacock showed. I know uh, you touted Goal Rush, uh, Chris, and and uh, I was doing a live space, trying to cover all ten matches at once or all six matches that mattered. Right? There were really six matches, six of the ten that mattered. And what ended up happening is Goal Rush was so delayed. They had focused on the primary match, which was Man City and uh, and Villa, that they you know, they would take you um, to to the other events. Basically, after they happened, right? So it turned out um, to NBC's credit, Rebecca Lowe was doing a great job of breaking in uh, to, to to the uh, to the Liverpool Wolves match or to the Leeds. Uh, no, no, sorry, they didn't have the Leeds match on TV, but the Burnley uh, Burnley match, Burnley Newcastle to give you updates. So I ended up then going to like uh, four screens and uh, dispensing with Gold Rush, uh, turning on uh, City, Burnley, Leeds, and uh, and. Sp- Spurs, Norrush, which then I switched to, to Liverpool and keeping an eye on things that way. So um, Premier League productions, maybe with Goal Rush, need to do – it was probably tough, right, for this simultaneous 10 kickoffs, uh, which it's never like that. It's four or five at most, but it wasn't quite as useful as I thought it would be, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, it was a great ending to the season, and and uh, I, I chuckle a little bit, a little bit, because it, it's a similar situation to what I had to Kartik where I don't know, I had maybe like four or five screens going, and then I'd be watching the game live, say on Peacock, and see like Leeds uh, scoring against Brentford, and then on one of my other screens. You mean maybe a couple of minutes later, like Rebecca Lowe would chime in to the broadcast the Man City game and said, "Okay, here's what's happening uh, at uh, at Brentford. Leeds have scored," and then maybe a minute later, Goal Rush would come in and say, "Hey, there's been a there's been a goal here at, at Brentford Stadium." So it was kind of it's it's one of those situations where. Nothing's completely in sync. And also even in terms of our viewing habits, when we're watching a game, so no, no matter what lo, what league it is, if it's the Premier League, Serie A, MLS, you name it, uh, there's always a little bit of lag time too. So depending on what streaming device you have that's uh, streaming the broadcast, uh, some, are more, some are faster than others in terms of uh, displaying what's happening in live time. And also, even the streaming services themselves sometimes there's a little bit of lag on their side, so um, it's nothing's in sync anymore. (laughs) Um, So it is one of those things we're all experiencing uh, live moments in quotation marks at at a different uh, in different times. So so you and I might might be watching the same broadcast on Peacock, but your your streaming device that you're using might be better and actually displaying that Peacock uh, coverage maybe, I don't know, 10, 20 seconds before mine is because maybe I have a, a, a older uh, streaming device that I'm using that's not as efficient. But anyway, yeah, it, yeah it's good stuff. Uh, moving on, this is uh, in regards to some of our feedback uh, or discussions in last week's podcast about MLS Leo says, I don't think MLS needs promotion relegation. Actually, it's because promotion relegation that a bunch of clubs in a league can create an a aristocracy, a, aristocracy and never leave it. Namely, the big six in the Premier League or Bayern, Bayern in the Bundesliga or the top three in La Liga, etc. Eight different MLS winners in the last 10 years can only happen because of no promotion relegation. And MLS like that... Uh, And they want to they want to protect that kind of unpredictability feature.
1: Well, well, so, Chris, uh, in response to Leo, uh, the MLS Cup is a cup competition. Okay, the FA Cup, you've had five different winners in the last five seasons by the way, German Cup, something very similar. Bayern usually doesn't win the German Cup believe it or not. Copa del Rey, also, there was one point where Real Madrid went like 20 years without winning Copa del Rey. So um, this thing about MLS having all these different champions and Liga Mekis having all these different champions, although that's kind of changed recently, uh, is partly because you have a playoff system, which is like a cup competition. So I, I, don't, I don't even know how that's applicable to comparing it to European leagues. If you want to do that, compare it to European cup competitions. And if MLS Cup has had more wins, In the last ten years, then the the French Cup or or the German Cup. Okay, then you know maybe we can have the discussion.
0: Yeah, yeah, precisely. It's one of those things that it's it's not comparing apples to apples. It's comparing apples to oranges. And and yeah, like no system is perfect by any means. And and yes, it is like like Leo mentioned in terms of the Big Six in the Premier League or Bayern Munich or the the top three in La Liga. but it, it's what makes the rest of the league most interesting in terms of the promotion relegation. Here we are, you I mean you and I and listeners excited about Nottingham Forest going up. Some of us excited about Burnley going down. You I mean that's the reality versus the same teams and, and teams being rewarded for coming last. Uh, with draft picks and and things like that, it just it, it just it's it's not apples to apples by any means. It, it, and the, and the the proof is in the pudding. You look at the TV ratings. You look at how many people are watching MLS versus some of these other leagues. Um, there's a reason for that. Turfit mentions uh, and my team can never. This is in response to Leo. And my team can never make it to the top league in MLS because there is no promotion relegation. And my town is too small for any mega rich club owner to move a team down here. And we've seen that too, Karthik, in the past before too, where like with the Premier League, for example, we've had uh, teams from smaller towns or cities get into the Premier League. Uh, We've had like what? Barnsley. Huddersfield
1: is a great example. I mean, they didn't make it this time, but they
0: were in the league recently. Right. Exactly. So there's, there's a lot of teams that from smaller uh, towns, etc. Hull, as another example. There's lots of examples. Uh, they way back when.
1: That was a great one.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got got up to the top league and, and battled there with the big teams. Versus, so how does it work in, in the United States with MLS? Uh, if you're a team in a smaller area that wants to move into MLS, what are the chances of that you happening? You can't.
1: Okay, okay, so this is, goes beyond pro rel, this goes to the pro league standards, which is why is one of the main points of NASL's lawsuit against US soccer and MLS. You have to have a certain metropolitan area size. To be to play in Division One or Division Two, uh, men's in the United States. Now there there is a seventy five percent rule, so in theory twenty five percent of the teams can be from outside areas. So in theory, people could argue, which people have argued with me on Twitter. Oh well, if you want to put a team in Wichita, you can. Or if you want to put a team in Juneau, Alaska, you can't. Well, no, you really can't because what USL went through. Uh, as they, as they moved to Division Two from Division Three, is they already had Harrisburg in their league. They already had, uh, Wilmington, North Carolina in their league. They already had, uh, a, a team in Rio Grande Valley, McAllen, Texas, in their league that didn't, uh, Charleston, that, uh, didn't meet the, the 750 minimum threshold at that point. Uh, there's been another census since then, but, uh, and so then, Every expansion city they had to look at was at a certain size. So I know there was a group in Eugene, Oregon that was very interested in doing USL uh, Division II, uh, the USL championship, and they couldn't do it because they, they didn't meet the minimum population requirement for their metro area. Similar situation uh, we had with uh, the NASL with, with Omaha. Uh, who now have a great story going on in USL League uh, 1. But we were a Division Two league, and Omaha wasn't going to meet that metro area requirement, so we had to think twice about it. We ultimately, didn't put a team there. So there are artificial restrictions on where you can put teams in U.S. soccer, in addition to the fact that maybe an investor, uh, a billionaire angel investor, doesn't want to put a team in Des Moines or doesn't want to put a team in Albuquerque, right? You already have that, uh, which Turfit is talking about, in addition to the PLS, which basically says... Well, um, we're going to make some exceptions, but generally we don't want first division teams in places like Chattanooga, which is what Don Garber said directly one time, remember.
0: You have to remember, too, that uh, take a town like Blackburn and Blackburn got promoted to the Premier League, won the Premier League. And Blackburn's population, 115,000 people.
1: So could Blackburn, How about Villarreal? That's like the most obvious example, right? <laughs> they made right. the semifinals of the uh, Champions League this year. Uh, they they, yeah. they wouldn't have an MLS team.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right, and then Dave says, a potential issue for MLS with promotion and relegation is that MLS finances are a bit like a Ponzi scheme. Sell a franchise, distribute the money, enjoy a windfall. But who will buy in for hundreds of millions of dollars if they might get relegated? How viable is today's MLS business if franchise dollars are shut off? How will and how soon uh, MLS will MLS generate enough steady-state operating profit to justify buy-in of hundreds of millions of dollars? These are not easy questions, and promotion relegation could make them harder to answer. And Dave, while I understand, totally understand in terms of the business perspective – why are we so interested in trying to make sure that the billionaires stay in business? I mean, why, why, not, why, why can't it be about basically sporting merit and about the best teams being in the top league? Why does it have to be so focused on you know, basically these billionaires losing, losing a team? It-
1: this is a very American thing. Uh, I, as, as I actually just had a conversation with a, with a Liverpool fan this morning before we taped the podcast about this. What, you know, He was asking me in the wake of Saturday, hey, Liverpool fan from the UK, you know, why is it that uh, Americans don't get this? Why is it that they... They they uh uh they, they support owners and not clubs and they, <laughs> and uh, it goes right to this right this is an American thing where Americans seem American sports fans seem very concerned about what happens to the owners' investment and what some billionaire oligarch uh, what happens to them if they if they might lose a little bit of money um, it's very strange because that's not what, the culture it? in Europe.
0: What would happen, Kartik? Uh, and this is not going to happen. But what, what would happen if MLS went out of business? Would soccer die in this country no. in terms of club soccer? No,
1: I think at one time – okay, so in fairness to MLS, I at at one point in my life made some of these same arguments people are making now. And that was before I worked in the game, before I experienced a crush of MLS and U.S. soccer and their anti-competitive behavior. But um, yeah, in 2000, if MLS had gone out of business, in 2001 when they contracted two teams, yeah, it might have really – Destroyed? Uh, maybe. Actually, I don't know. I'm not as sure as I used to be about this. That it, that it would have destroyed uh, club soccer and 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 football in this country completely. I think you would have had Phoenix clubs rise. Now you definitely would have Phoenix clubs rise. Maybe a more organic model. And the European game and the international game are so popular in this country now, uh, as is obviously the availability of Liga and MX and the, now the availability of Brazilian and Argentine football as well. Uh, i uh, i don 't think it would have the sort of effect. Uh, people think it would have. Now, what it would have an effect on is the venues that were built and the money lost and kind of venues sitting empty. But that's happened anyway. Uh, That's happened in lower division soccer throughout this country thanks to these anti-competitive practices. MLS fans just don't care or they don't recognize it. They don't recognize that there's a stadium in Virginia Beach that was built specifically for soccer that is sitting empty. They don't recognize the fact that the stadium in Charleston, which was the first soccer-specific stadium in this country, uh, got raised to the ground because of financial things they don't recognize that lockhart was sitting empty and grass was growing uh incredibly in the middle of the pitch etc because of lower division clubs collapsing
0: yeah and it's something that's not just uh u.s soccer uh it's also i mean other countries around the world too that clubs go out of business and oftentimes like you said to to, in terms of like phoenix clubs that rise from the ashes and oftentimes it's supporters groups uh, bringing a club back to, to life again and, and have them
1: but kind clubs of, don't basically go kind out of, of try business. to get back into the league. No, no, but cl- I have to push back on this one point, Chris. Clubs do not go out of business at the rate uh, in other countries that they do in the United States. You know, people who want to p- oppose ProRail constantly say and defend the closed system and pr- PLS and all this stuff say, oh, well, Maidstone United went out of business in the UK and there was, you know, this club in Italy went out of business. And it, but it, it's, it's a much rarer phenomenon than it is uh, in the United States. Much rarer.
0: And then last comment is from uh, Jason. This is in regards to ESPN+. I wonder if ESPN+, Plus soccer quality is about to dip. They already lost UEFA International Games, uh, Scottish Premiership and Serie A. Will they lose MLS and EFL now? I wonder that they may have bid so high in La Liga uh, that they have no funds to preserve the other competitions they had the rights to up until now. And, Jason, my, my feedback on this one would be that they certainly have the funds. Yes, they, I think, overspent on La Liga. Um, and the timing was awful, right? And, and especially uh, this week's news, too, about uh, Killian uh, Mbappe not going to uh, La Liga and Real Madrid. And then you've got Erling Haaland, who was, last year it seemed like kind of a certainty that he'd be going to Real Madrid he's not going there either. Uh yeah, maybe you've got Lewandowski moving possibly to Bayern, uh from Bayern to Barcelona. But I, I don't think ESPN has a lack of money. I think if anything it's they've 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 bid for a lot of these rights but lost out on them. Um so they tried to get the Premier League. They didn't get it. Uh NBC had to end up paying more for it. And now we're in the situation where there's not many rights available. So MLS rights are up. Uh, this year start and it 'll start next year, but beyond that there isn 't much else there yes there 's the uh English championship uh but relatively a minor league in terms of sports rights fees, and beyond that there 's not much available so they 've lost out they've they 've tried to get these leagues, but they were outdone by the competition so but however, I would say, Kartik, I think we are entering a phase where espn is going to be a smaller player in soccer
1: Uh, yeah that's true but i think uh, we've seen this phase before right we saw in 2009 when espn lost the champions league and it looked like they were reduced to just uh, mls they made a play and got uh, sub-licensed premier league and la liga matches for the next few seasons and then uh, again uh after twenty thirteen when the Premier League rights went the, the uh the deal with Gold T V uh for, for uh La Liga had expired, right? Uh they were then in in in, in a dark phase and then came came back strong with, with Serie A, the championship uh at La Liga now. So uh the Bundesliga. So I think it's ebbed and flowed a lot. So as ESPN loses rights, because soccer rights are not ten and twelve years the way they are in American sports, which is quite frankly, the fault of ESPN and Disney for uh, uh, tying down the, particularly college sports conferences to 10- and 12-year deals, uh, because it's three or five years, they're able to pivot and, and, and pick things back up. So, um, yeah. That's a good point. I, That's a good
0: point because they, even with the Champions League, the Champions League rights are going to be up for bids uh, within the next year. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Uh, so there, there's an opportunity there to, to, to get those off um cbs when we've that? also
1: seen espn think- use the sub-license route right also with champions league they got some game sub-licensed from fox in the previous in the last fox package remember before it went to turner uh, which was uh, quite surprising because we, we we think of 2009 as being the end was well, certainly the end of the Derek ray tommy smith era but then but there were some matches remember chris that espn 2 aired in 2015 and 2016 <laughs> and, and uh and around that time period champions league matches so they're also creative in getting programming in a way maybe the other uh leading broadcasters aren't
0: yeah that's good yeah good points and also most soccer rights are usually for three years so uh even though they missed out on some of these i mean within I uh, mean, within a year to two years these will be coming up for bid again so um Yeah, some opportunities there for ESPN. So listeners, uh, we've covered a lot of grounds in this episode. Uh, We want to hear from you. We want to get your feedback. We want to get your questions. We want to get your opinions. And uh, you can reach us one of several different ways. Uh, The website is worldsoccertalk.com. There's a a podcast uh, thread on the, the main navigation bar. And you can just leave a comment in there. Uh, No registration, no paywalls, so just go ahead and give us a comment there. Or you can email us, and the email address is web at worldsoccertalk.com. Facebook, we're on Facebook, facebook facebook.com. Uh, slash World Soccer Talk, and last but not least, uh, Twitter, and the Twitter address is uh, at World Soccer Talk. Karthik, where can they uh, find you on Twitter in terms of uh, staying updated on your latest thoughts and, and opinions about everything from from soccer to politics and, and uh, many other things?
1: Uh, KKFLA
0: seven three seven. Great, and then you can reach me. Uh, I'm at uh, the Gaffer uh one word the gaffer all right guys thank you so much for listening we really appreciate uh everything and the feedback especially uh you can get a new episode usually every thursday but this one we decided to wait until after the uefa champions league and uh championship uh, playoff final and uh, kartik heading into another week of soccer from around the world uh there's a lot to choose from what should they do and what are you going to do enjoy your
1: football